John, I think you're our weeping prophet. Um, appreciate you so much, brother, and the encouragement that you are to not only the elders but to this church. And God's blessed us with, uh, with your heart, and thank you for that challenge this morning. I would like to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11. We'll begin our time in God's Word this morning, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. You'll find that on page 869 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Luke 11, a wonderful passage in which our Lord teaches us about prayer, and I hope that he will do so even this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, hear now the word of God. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Our Father, we're thankful for your word now that we can come and consider this morning that we too might come and and learn from our Lord as the uh, disciples did long ago. We, Father, um, even as has been confessed this morning, our time of prayer uh, before Sunday school and and even this morning by our brother John, we are asking you, humbly, with great desire in our heart as your children, to do a mighty work in Hamilton Baptist Church for our great gain and for your glory. Do it even now as your word is proclaimed through your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In 1884, the nation of Korea began the first evangelical church. A hundred years ago, a hundred years later, excuse me, in 1984, there were 30,000 evangelical churches in Korea. In a span of a hundred years, going from pretty much zero uh, presence of evangelical Protestant Christian to today, the nation is now 30% evangelical. In 1980, the nation of South Korea had sent out 93 foreign missionaries. So 93 Koreans were sent to other nations to spread the gospel of Christ, 1980. In 2010, 30 years later, over 23,000 Koreans have been sent out to become foreign missionaries, making it the second most missionary sending nation on the earth next to America. So how, how can something like this happen? Well, many people will point to many different things, but let me quote to you David Cho, a prominent pastor in Seoul, South Korea, who says, At our church and other churches in South Korea, prayer begins at 5 a.m. in the morning. We pray for one or two hours every day of the week. On Fridays, we spend the entire night in prayer. We gather at 10.30 and pray to about 4 or 5 in the morning. On Sundays, we pray before each service. We pray during each service. And the sound of thousands of Korean believers praying together 
reminds me of a thunderous roar of a mighty waterfall. See, Korea has become a nation in prayer. A nation, by the way, where God is working in mighty and powerful ways. And the question that has been upon my heart in these last number of months, or even close to a year now, is that do we want God to work in mighty and powerful ways in, in our land, in our country, in, even in our faith community? And I would say we probably would, would all say, of course we want Him to work. But I think perhaps we need to more, have a greater desire than simply we want Him to work. I think we must become desperate for Him to work. I, I would suggest to you that people pray when they become desperate. Even atheists, they, they get in enough trouble, they will pray to a God they believe does not exist. Right? We even name sports plays after prayers, right? You're on the 50-yard line, the clock is ticking down, you're down by five, what do you do? You throw up a Hail Mary, that's right. Now, I don't know if Mary is particularly good at football, why we're praying to Mary, I'm not quite sure. But right, we, 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 we're desperate, and so we, we're going to pray. We can't do this without help from above, right? So we pray when we're desperate. Well, one pastor has challenged me by saying, what if our entire life was intended to be lived in complete and total desperation for God? In other words, what, what if we believed God's help, we, we believed we needed God's help, not simply to win a football game, or not simply when we are in trouble, but we actually need God's help all the time. Like, I need God's help to be the, the father that he has called me to be and the husband that he's called me to be. I need God's help to manage my money in a way that is honoring to him and doesn't conjure sin out of my heart. I need God's help to preach this sermon. I mean, what if, what if we believe that? What if we are desperate for God for everything, for every aspect of our life? One thing I love about the Gospel of Luke, and there's many things I love about it, but one of the things that uh, I appreciate so much is that he's constantly showing us Jesus praying. In fact, Luke has uh, records nine prayers of Jesus. That, that's the content of nine of his prayers. He shows us Jesus praying many other places. But in those nine prayers... Seven of those nine, only Luke tells us about. So Luke is very conscious of Jesus praying. In fact, in chapter 3, he'll be the only gospel writer that tells at Jesus' baptism he was praying. And in chapter 4, he was praying during those 40 days of fasting and temptation. In chapter 5, he was praying after his ministry in Capernaum began to grow. In chapter 6, he prayed all night before he chose the 12 apostles. In chapter 9, he prayed before he asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And then eight days later, he went up to the mountain to what? To, to pray, right? In chapter 10, the 72 returned to him. And the Bible says Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he began to pray. And now we get to chapter 11 in our study of Luke's gospel. And what do we read there in verse 1? Now Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying in a certain place. Always praying. Now why is Jesus always praying? I would suggest to you the reason that Jesus constantly feels a need to pray is that he is desperate for the Father to work through him. He is dependent upon the Father for all things. For John chapter 5 and verse 30, the Lord Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. <laughs> is that not extraordinary? I mean, he's the Son of God. He's, he's existed forever. Right? He created all things. 
He says, listen, you need to understand something. I could do nothing on my own. Now I ask you, if the Son of God Himself can do nothing on His own, how much can you do on your own? Nothing. We must become like Christ. Desperate for God to work. In fact, the apostles seem to come to this conclusion. They come to Jesus and they see Jesus praying in a certain place. And we, when he had finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to... What is it? Teach us to pray. So the one time the apostles actually came to Jesus and asked him to teach them something. It's not teach us to perform miracles or teach us to witness or teach us to teach. But they ask him... Lord, will, will you teach us, teach us to pray? The one time they want him to teach us, we want to know about prayer. Now, this is interesting because they already know how to pray. I mean, these are, these are good Jewish boys. They've been praying all their life. They've been attending synagogue. They've been reciting their prayers. They know all about prayer. But something different is going on in Jesus. See, it's not a ritual for him to perform. It's, it's his life. It's his necessity. It's like sleep and food for him. He is totally desperate for God. And they say, we want to know how to pray like that. And, and that's, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for Hamilton Baptist Church. I want the Lord to teach us to pray. Right? Just that, what was that? Uh, five word, five, five word little prayer there. Lord, teach us to pray. In fact, can, can we just pray that right now? Can you say that with me? Lord, teach us to pray. Just as the apostles wanted. They wanted Jesus to teach us. May God teach us. This is why we started this 15 days of prayer. We've, we're praying for 15 days, not because we have a building to fund. Do you understand that? It is not because there's some crisis happening in the church. It is not because we are in a state of division or there's uh, our budget's failing or we're unhealthy uh, in this area or that area. We're, we're not praying because we have a 50-yard pass to complete. We're praying because we need God. We need to become dependent upon God as a church. We need to become desperate for God as a church. And whatever lukewarmness resides in our heart, we need to run from it, reject it, and run to the arms of our God. We need to grow in a desire for God. I was so convicted by David Platt who told um, missionary testimony. He said the time I had, the first time I had encountered, I had an encounter with a house church of believers in Asia, believers gathered in underground locations to study the word in a country where it was illegal to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I remember we were sitting in this small room, a circle of about 20 or 30 believers sitting on little stools. They were sharing testimonies about what God had done in their lives. And then someone said, we, we need to pray. And they fell down on their knees and on their faces and they began to weep before the Lord. And for the next hour, all they did was pray and weep. And they weren't praying, he writes, big theological prayers. They were praying things like, God, thank you for not forgetting us. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for knowing our names. And friends, I, I read that and I wonder, when is the last time that, that you and I have been so moved that, God, that we've literally, not figuratively, literally got on our faces and said, thank you for knowing me. Thank you for not forgetting me. Thank you for knowing me by name. Thank you for being my father. And this is the direction I pray that God would take us as a church, that we would, we would, be, we would begin to hallow his name. We would begin to seek after him. And so uh, during this time of 
prayer emphasis. May God do this work in our lives as we fast together on Thursday and pray, as we read this book about prayer together, as we memorize John 14, 13 through 14 together, as we meet on nine different times over the next 15 days to pray. May God be pleased to work in us. This morning, I want to consider his teaching on prayer. In fact, we're going to do so this Sunday and God willing, the next two Sundays. In the coming Sundays, we're going to teach how to pray and uh, learn how to pray from Jesus and learn why to pray. But today, I want to consider what it is we should pray. You notice the text in front of us is what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. No, this is Luke's version. And so even in my my reading of it a moment ago, you notice it's different than Matthew's. It's shorter. There's no reference to God's will. And there's no reference to deliverance from evil. What this tells us is that Jesus taught this way to pray on separate occasions. And uh, he shows us he's still teaching the same principles, but not the exact prayer. And that's helpful for us, because what that teaches us is that this is not simply a prayer in which we recite in order to gain some access to divine favor. It's not a magical incantation. Now, it's good to, to memorize it. It's good to recite it. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Jesus is teaching us is not pray this exact same prayer, but pray these things in order to reach and touch the heart of your Father. And so he, in this prayer, tells us we should pray for five things. And we're going to consider them in a moment. But first of all, look at who we are supposed to pray to. He says, first of all, we pray to our Father. Verse 2 tells us, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. I just want to pause there for a moment and just consider all the, all the names in which Jesus could have told us to, uh, to address God with, all the titles in which he could have asked us to, to call upon him, King, Lord of creation and earth, well, you know, sovereign God, Lord of heaven and earth, and so forth. But instead he says, no, when you pray, I want you to pray to him as Father. In fact, every time that Jesus prayed in the Bible, every single time, we have 60 different times in which Jesus did this, he addressed God as Father, except one time. And so he's constantly calling God Father. Now we may take this for granted, but they certainly didn't because no one had ever done this before Jesus. In fact, a, a, a German scholar has looked into all the world's religions, just not this religion in which we come from, but all the world's religions, and, and specifically their prayers, trying to find things in common about their prayers. He concludes, after surveying these prayers for years, it is for certain that no one in religious history ever called God Father except Jesus. You have all the Old Testament prayers. You have all the ancient Jewish literature where they're prescribed prayers. Not a single occasion in which we call God Father. In fact, when Jesus was doing this, he he got the, the religious elite so upset that in John 5, it says this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not because, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father. And so it was extraordinary to them. Father, I'm praying to my Father. And and as extraordinary as that is, please understand that He now invites you to do the same thing. He says, when you pray, you pray to God as your Father. You say, our Father. In fact, this whole section on prayer starts with Father. You get to the end of verse 13. And what are we talking about? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Right? It's all about the fatherhood of God. This is who we are praying to. Not some divine being. You're talking to whom? Your Father. 
In fact, we, my family, we were having our Bible study last night and we were talking about this very specific thing. And, and in fact, what I do with my kids, and they'll tell you when they begin to pray and they say, Dear God, I'll stop them. I say, hold on a second. Dear Father, I think this is one of the, the fundamental realities, the foundation of prayer. If you want to have a vibrant prayer, you need to understand who you are. You need to understand that prayer is relating to your Father. It is a family relationship. God is our Father. He looks at us. He sees a bunch of orphans neglected and abused. He sees us as wayward and rebellious and bratty little orphans. And He says, you know what they need? They need a dad. And so He sends our big brother Jesus to this earth. He he pays for our sin. He adopts us into his family. He gives us the family name Christian. He gives us the family inheritance, which will be the world. And he loves us as a father. God is our father. In fact, uh, it was John during our prayer, uh, maybe it was Butch, who was praying this morning during our time of prayer, referring to the beautiful sunrise. Uh, it's just gorgeous. You know, the sun, 97 million miles away. It's just beautiful and perfect and warms us and keeps us alive and it is incredible. You know, you know, you know who made that son? I know who made that son. My dad made that son. Thanks. Thanks, dad, for the son. It is awesome. Right? He made it for you and me and all his children. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, you know what we're praying for? We're praying for our father's honor. We're praying your kingdom come. We're praying for our Father's authority. We're saying, give us our daily bread. We're praying for our Father's provision. And we're saying, forgive us of our sins. We're praying for our Father's grace. And we're fighting against temptation. We're praying that our Father would keep us safe. I tell you, you'll never have the intimacy and joy in prayer until you understand God is your Father. He's not your, simply your king and your servant. He's not simply um, a creator and your creation. He is Father and you are daughter or son. In fact, I, I would suggest to you, if you want to learn how to pray, do not listen to religious people. Just watch how kids talk to their dads. Right? You go find a three-year-old and see how they talk to a dad they love. Because my three-year-old doesn't come to me and say, Father, I beseech thee for some ice cream. Right? <laughs> she says, Daddy, sweet frogs, right? Go! There's just intimacy there. There's access there. Is there a relationship with more access than a father to a son or a daughter? Right? You think, you think of great and important people. Who gets to see the president? Well, the richest people, the most powerful people, the most intelligent people, right? You win the Super Bowl, maybe you see him for five minutes, and his children. Almost any time they want. Right? The access we have. You understand, I don't think there's a relationship with more access, See, probably even more than a spouse. I mean, it's 2 a.m. and, and someone want, wants a cup of cold water, right? If your neighbor comes to your house at 2 a.m. and says, can I have a cup of water, right? You're, you're not going to give it to them, are you? Right? Your spouse rolls over in bed at 2 a.m. and says, honey, will you give me a cup of water? Right? You'll be tempted to say, get it yourself. I, of course, will get it for her, but, uh, right? Uh, so don't try it this morning, please. So, you're right? But, but your, your child comes to your bedside and says, Daddy, Daddy, can I have a cup of, cup of water? What, what do you say? Well, where's your letter of reference? Hmm? Well, I'm sorry. You have to con contact my secretary and make an appointment. No, you say, of course, sweetheart. What's, what's going on? What, you have a bad dream? Right? You get out of bed. It's, it's, it's total access. You, you understand? Jesus says, I'm giving you a relationship with God like that. That's what I'm giving. You go right up and you crawl into his lap and you pray to your father. 
Now, in case we get too casual, you notice what we pray to our Father. Hallowed be your name. So we pray to our Father, but we pray for our Father's glory. Right? To, to say, hallowed be your name, is a request for God to honor himself. To hallow means to be treated as holy. Now, we're not praying that God would be holy. He already is holy. We're praying that people would see him as holy. That people regard him. We're saying, Father, exalt yourself. Revere yourself. Esteem yourself. Cause us to cherish you. And we have to pray this because the reality is, is that we're blind to his glory. And not just not the world, but I would suggest that you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are at least in some way partially blind to the glory and majesty of God. We see glory all around us, right? College basketball, man, there's glory. That's easy to see. Right? Dinner, glory. New car, glory. Right? Political elections, right? There's glory on my television screen every evening, right? With their banners and thousands of people waiting in line to chant somebody's name. So there's glory. I mean, our hearts are stirred all the time. God our Father? Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. What else? What's on television? We're blind. We're blind to the majesty of our God, and Jesus knows it. He says, you're indifferent to Him, and you need to pray, God, remove the obstacles in my life that makes me blind to your majesty. Help me to trust you and delight in you and rejoice in your infinite greatness. Take away the sin in my life that is blocking me from you. Hallowed be your name in my life. And it's beyond that, though. It's just not me. It's the world. Hallowed be your name in the world. You know, Jesus Christ has died to ransom a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Let your name be hallowed. Let your greatness be seen in the suburbs of western Loudoun and in the reservations of South Dakota and in the slums of Accra, Ghana. Hallow your name, Father. Hallow it everywhere among kings and all the peoples, princes and all the rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Hallow your name. Exalt yourself. Christ is when you pray. That's how you pray. You pray for your Father's glory. And then you move on and you pray this other second petition. Pray for our Father's government. Right? Father, hallowed be your name. And then he says, secondly, you pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What that means is our Father's a king. Which I think is good news. Right? Because how wonderful would it be if you're an orphan and you get adopted. That's a pretty good day. Right? Some good man comes to you and says, I want to be your father. I want to take care of you for the rest of your life. Right? And, and you're driving home and you say, well, well, dad, where do you live? And dad says, well, I live in a palace. Right? And you go, really? That's, that's cool. Um, he says, and, and I, I sit on a throne. I'm, I'm a king. Well, that's a good day, isn't it? You get adopted, not just by a good and loving man, but a good and loving king. And just not any king. He's the king of kings. 
He rules and reigns over all kingdoms, all authorities, angels and demons and princes and dictators and races and the United Nations and presidential elections and economies. He rules over it all and your father's kingdom will never be defeated. It's opposed, but it will never be defeated. And by the way, it will go on forever because your father is never going to die. And now that you're his son or daughter, neither will you. Right? I pray for my father's kingdom. When he establishes it perfectly, it will be a kingdom of justice and love and mercy. It will be a kingdom which the hungry are fed and the poor are cared for and the the homeless are housed and the marginalized are esteemed and the weeping are comforted. It it will be a a, a kingdom where, where all the unrepentant bullies and abusers and dictators in this world will never be allowed to come. I tell you, he is he is far better than any of the esteemed individuals running for the president of this land. He is far, far better. And he is your father who is a king. Together, we as children, one day we will enjoy our father's resurrected, perfected kingdom forever. And so Jesus says when you pray, pray for that. Pray for it. Pray Pray for that your father would bring his kingdom. Pray that the authority of your kingly father would hold sway in your lives and you would increasingly delight in obeying him. Pray that people and cultures would begin to submit their life to his reign and end their rebellion. Pray that you could be an ambassador for his kingdom and you could start more effectively caring for the poor and the marginalized and the hurting and looking out for your neighbors, showing that you live in the kingdom. In fact, when we're praying for his kingdom, aren't we praying that his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, as he tells us in Matthew. I want your will done here. I want your kingdom and your rule done here. Jesus says, pray for that. Now the question is, do you want that? Is this what you want? Do you really want him to rule over you? Do you really want his authority and his say to, to have the total authority in your life? Because often, you know what I think I'm doing when I'm praying is I'm telling God what to do. And God, I really need this, and I need you to do that, and I, and I need you to do that. In other words, I'm not always praying for His kingdom to come. Quite often, in fact, most of the time, I'm praying for my kingdom to come. My will to be done. Right? I need this, Father, and I need you to do this. And we plead and plead and plead. And, and, and we plead for many things that quite often have nothing to do with His honor and nothing to do with His kingdom. And, and rather than praying to a father, he moves from a father and he's no longer a father. He's like a, he's like a cosmic pinata. And prayer is the stick in which we beat him so he pays out to fulfill our will. Give me this and give me that and give me this. And we're praying for our will. We're praying for our kingdom. In fact, I don't know if you notice that in this, this model of prayer, Jesus has not told us to pray anything for ourselves yet, Right? He begins by saying, listen, they say, teach us to pray. He says, okay, I'm going to teach you to pray. You start by praying for your father's honor. You say, hallowed be your name. Then you move on and you begin to pray for your father's kingdom. These are your primary concerns in prayer. And for us, I think if we're honest, I'll just talk about myself. For us, if I pray for my father's honor and my father's kingdom, it's usually just to kind of get them out of way so I can begin to ask for bread and guidance and all the rest. Father, I need this so much. Father, I'm scared about this. Father, I just have to get in here. All right. Father, I have this uncertainty. And on and on we go. And we say, now, Father, if you would do these things, life would be good. 
If you would answer this prayer, everything would be good. My life would be good. If you would just, this is how life is supposed to go. I wonder if what Jesus is teaching us is that before we tell our Father how our life is supposed to go, we would do well to remember that He's a King and that His name is holy. In other words, before we present our needs to Him, we need to pray for His kingdom. His kingdom before our own. I love the story of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, his 11 brothers, sold into slavery, rises up to power at the end, right? And, and, and he has all this power. And in Genesis 50, you know, uh, Jacob, their dad, dies. And so the brothers begin to freak out a little bit because now dad's dead and maybe Joseph's been nice to us because dad's alive. And so they send him a message. They say, Joseph, we know we have wronged you. Please, please do not hurt us. Please do not kill us. And Joseph responds to them. And he says, he says, you know what he says? Does he say, I've forgiven you, don't worry about it. You know, it's water under the bridge, we're moving on. He says to them, fear not, for am I in the place of God. You, you, see, you see what's happened in Joseph's life? He, Joseph has this peace in his heart. He's, he has this forgiveness, he's this grace. You know why? Because he's put God where he belongs. He's, he, 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 you know, we get all fretful and we get all anxious, right? And in fact, I was battling anxiety just a number of nights ago. It was keeping me up at night. Some of you are filled with anxiety right now. We get all resentful of people who have hurt us and, and we, we hold on to these things. And the reason is, is because you know how life is supposed to go. You've put yourself in God's place and you are seeking your kingdom. And Joseph said, listen, brothers, I took myself out of God's place long ago. Am I in the place of God? No. He is God. He is king. I'm going to let him rule. I'm going to let him reign. I'm going to pursue his kingdom and not my own. And then it is in that time in which peace comes in and joy when you put God where he is supposed to be. And this is what Joseph is teaching us. I would encourage you, therefore, in your life of prayer, before you present your request to God, you come to God and say, show me that you're God and I'm not. In other words, before you ask from your father, ask for your father. I want you. I want your face first, not your hand. By the way, you notice this story comes right after the story of Mary and Martha. Remember that last week? Remember Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Right? Only how many things are necessary? One thing is necessary. One thing. Right? And will not be taken away from her. What's that one thing? It's coming to God, seeing God as the joy-giving God He is, becoming desperate for God, right? And this is what Jesus is teaching us. Pursue God first in your prayer. And once you do, then you begin to pray for your needs, right? And so the third petition is pray for our Father's gifts. Verse 3, give us this day our daily bread, which I find fascinating, the transition between those two prayer requests, right? Because you're praying for God's universal kingdom, and then you're praying for bread for today, right? What that teaches us is that our Father uh, wants to make sure our, His kids are warm and fed and taken care of. He wants to, He's concerned about what you had for breakfast. He wants to make sure your needs are met. And so you can ask Him for the needs that you have in your life. You can ask Him to provide for us. And specifically, Jesus says you pray to Him for your daily bread, which I think, of course, Jesus is reminding us of the time which Israel, redeemed out of Egypt, wandered the wilderness. And it was a wilderness because no one could live there. No one could live there because you couldn't grow food there. There were no animals lived there. It was desolate. 
And so how were they going to live? They grew hungry. And they said, God, will you feed us? God said, yeah, I will. And he fed them with heavenly bread called manna. And they, uh, how much bread did they get? Bread for that day. Right? And so they would eat the bread for that day. And they would go to bed at night with no food for tomorrow. And they would say, Father, we, we have no food for tomorrow. Will you provide for us? And God says, yeah, I'll provide for you. And wake up the next day and they go outside their tent. And where, where is it? There's, there's bread there. Right? And so this is, this is how God is weaning his people, you know, uh, and, and beginning to teach them to trust him. Now, this, of course, is totally foreign to us. Right? I mean, who prayed for their daily bread today? I mean, we, we, we're not worried about food for today. We have today's bread. And we have tomorrow's bread. And we have next week's bread. And to be honest, us Americans, we probably could eat a little less bread. We have plenty of bread, don't we? We have all that we need. And if we don't have bread, you know what we do? We don't pray to the Father. We pick up the phone and it's delivered to us hot within 30 minutes with cheese and pepperoni. Right? We don't... We, we have bread everywhere. Right? And when, when's the last time you... When's the last time you had no food for today? And, and by the way, all you wanted was bread. Right? If I could just get bread, that would be great. No, we don't want bread. We want steak. We want enough money to eat out wherever we want. We want... We, we don't pray for bread. We pray for early retirement. Right? Jesus says, when you pray, okay, and you begin to ask, well, this is what you want to pray for. I want you to pray for your daily bread. You know, it reminds me of a prayer in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. You know this prayer? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Right? Don't make me poor. Don't make me rich. Why? He says, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Father, please don't make me poor, because I'll be tempted to covet and steal, and I'll profane you. Father, please don't make me rich. Well, by the way, when's the last time you prayed that? Or maybe you're, you were too busy dreaming about winning the lottery, right? Please don't make me rich. Why? Because if I have too much, I'll lose my desperation for you. I'll lose my dependence upon you. And, and I'll say, who is the Lord? I, I, don't, I don't need the Lord. I have, I have everything. I wonder, is that a problem for us, Hamilton Baptist Church? That we are so full that we wonder, well, what? I'm not desperate for him. I'm not dependent upon him. I have all we need. Is this why, one of the reasons why I and maybe you are casual about prayer and flipping about prayer and, and it's optional whether it actually happens this day or the next day because we have become full and we have said, who is the Lord? I, I, I have this life under control. Thank you very much. And Jesus says, I want you to pray for your daily bread. And I think he's doing this because he wants to put a hedge of protection around us. He wants to guard us from walking away from God. He wants us to recapture our dependence upon God. Right? This prayer is our hedge of protection. And so he says, present your needs to him. Let him know what you need. It was interesting, by the way, because my kids don't ask for bread. I just give it to them, right? My kids are hungry. What does this dad do? He doesn't wait for them to ask. I just put food out in front of them because I, I know what they need. Now, why is it that therefore I have to ask my God for my bread? Why do I have to ask my heavenly father for bread? Is he, is it like he have a clipboard and is he saying, okay, slow down. Let me make sure I get all this, right? Why does he tell us to present a request to, to him? Why must we present our needs to him? Is it that he does not know? No, I think he knows what you need from him. The problem is that you don't. And I don't. I don't know I need daily bread from him because my cupboard is full of it. 
And he says, I want you to pray and you have to understand, you have to recapture the total dependence you have upon God. That's what prayer is for. It's just not to get things. It's, it changes your heart. Now, it, do, it does. he does respond. He is waiting for you to ask. You pray not. You have not because you ask not. James 14. But it changes us. By the way, this proverb writer says, his desire is not for bread. Whether he has, I mean, it's just, I want to be close to you. So give me enough bread so I remain close to you. By the way, that's the prayer of wisdom. Fourthly, we pray for our Father's grace. The fourth petition, pray for his grace. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins. You notice that the Lord's prayer is a sinner's prayer. What that means, though, we call it the Lord's prayer. Jesus never prayed. Jesus never said, Father, forgive me of my sins. You and I must pray that. We come to our fathers as sinners. Jesus clearly is aware of this. This is not a surprise to him. He says, listen, you understand he is your father, but you come confessing. You come confessing. You come seeking forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. Aren't those wonderful words? Don't just pass over that. Forgive us our sins. Will you give us grace? Holy Father, will you you give us mercy? And our Father will. He's forgiving. Right? He wants to forgive us. And parents, or when, when was the last time your child has come to you and they said to you, Dad, um, I've, I've committed this sin and I, I'm, I'm very sorry for it and I want you to forgive me. Right? And, and when your child comes to you like that, what do you do? Get out of my house? Right? You banish them? Are you shocked? No. You you are so blessed and blown away that they're actually broken and coming, seeking forgiveness, that once they leave the room, I do a little dance, right? I'm, I'm excited. I praise God that He's working in their heart, that they want to come confessing sin and seeking my forgiveness. This is what our Father's like. We come to Him and we confess to Him. And we confess specifically to Him. This is what I've done, Father. I need You to forgive me. And He is a perfect Father, right? Jesus, later in this, Luke 11 says, as you dads who are evil know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? Right? And so he wants us to come confessing, seeking God's forgiveness. And then he adds this little tagline. You notice this? Verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And there's part of us that wishes that wasn't part of the prayer. Right? If you think about that too long, you may be tempted not to pray this prayer. Father, forgive me in the same way that I'm forgiving everybody who's wronged me. Which, well, that means I have bitterness in my heart. I'm holding a grudge, right? I'm saying, Father, forgive me like that. You, in, in other words, don't forgive me because I'm not forgiving other people. And so beware. Please understand that Christians are not just forgiven. They are forgiving. Christians are not those who simply have received grace. They are those who give grace. That is who we are by definition. It's who God has made us. And I would suggest to you, friends, the more you come to God and confess your sin to Him, the more you are specifically dealing with the sin in your life and talking to your Father about it and seeking His grace for it, the more gracious you will become. The more Christ-like you will become. Not only will you receive forgiveness, you will actually be sanctified through it. The more we understand and appreciate the grace in which God has given me, the more gracious I will be with others. So I wonder, who has wronged you? Who is indebted to you? A boss, a church member, a spouse, a child? 
Father, forgive me as I forgive them. Lastly, we pray for our Father's guidance. He says there at the end of the prayer, and lead us not into temptation. I don't know, uh, you may be like me in this. I don't particularly like asking for forgiveness. I find that uncomfortable. Um, I once, in a previous uh, ministry, uh, sinned publicly. And uh, the next week, I stood in front of the entire flock and confessed my sin to them. And that was not an enjoyable experience. And it makes me not want to ever have to be in that position again. And so if you don't like seeking forgiveness, well, this is the prayer for you. And lead us not into temptation. It's like a preemptive prayer. Keep me from sin. Guide me, protect me, because the world is full of temptations. The world is full of folly, and, and I'm not strong enough. There's a war going on around me. I have enemies. They're, they're pulling me into sin. I need help. I, I, I need you to keep me. I need you to protect me. Right? Do you, so often we just charge off in our day saying, I got this. I got this covered. And off we go with no prayer that God would actually help us navigate the day. No, no acknowledgement that we are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Right? Here's the prayer. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, please protect me from sin. It's all around me. I'm full of pulling on me. I need help. See, our Father wants to help us. He, a picture I have in this prayer is a dad just reaching down and grabbing his kid's hand and dad leading you through all the, the trouble and the dangers around this world and, and rather being anxious and troubled when you have your dad's hand. There's just this, there's this peace about you, right? There's this, this confidence that you have. He's like, My hand is, is in dad's hand and, and off we go. In fact, I, I remember that it was about three years ago I took my kids to Dollywood. You guys ever been in Dollywood? It is a... It's a wonderful place, but it is crazy, right? And there are uh, a lot of um, interesting people there. And, and um, my kids, you know, we, we lived in a, before we came up here, a, ten, a county of 10,000 people on a 15-acre little hobby farm, right? We didn't, we didn't know about crowds. And so into Dollywood we go, and my, my little kids see these massive people. And you know what, what instinctively they do? They reach for Daddy's hand. Right? They reach up and, and grab my hand. And, and so here I am, I'm walking through Dollywood and I got some kids in this hand and some kids in this hand and kids wrapped around my neck and, and right. And what am I thinking? Really? Do I really have to take care of you again? No, I'm thinking this is awesome because I get to, I get to protect my kids and I get to guide my kids and and I get to fill my kids with junk food. And, you know, I, 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 I get to show them what God is like. And my kids don't think, okay, wait a second, but, you know, how are we going to get through that crowd? Or where's the best ride? Or, or how, how are we going to eat? They don't think about any of these things. All they have is they have their dad. Right? And, and, and they just go with, with dad. And, and they don't need those things because dad's going to keep us safe and dad's going to get this through us and dad's going to make sure that we have a great time. It's the foolish kid that runs off into the crowd and is lost and confused and scared in just a matter of moments. And friends, how many days do you begin by running off into the crowd without reaching up and grabbing your dad's hand and saying, let's go, dad. I need your help today. 
I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't, I don't have the resources to navigate this day. Right? My, my kids are no fools, by the way. They, they reach up and grab my hands. And we laugh and smile and eat funnel cake until we're sick. And, and we have a wonderful time. See, God is our Father. And we need Him to lead us and protect us and guide us. We need to take, care of, take hold of His hand. Lead us not into temptation. You notice, by the way, that it's not lead me, lead me not into temptation. Did you see that? It is lead us not into temptation. And by the way, it's not forgive me my sins, but it's forgive us our sins. And by the way, we're not just praying for my daily bread. You notice that? Give us each day our daily bread. I'm praying for your bread too. In fact, when Jesus said, when they said, Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, okay, I want you not to simply to pray for your needs. I want you to pray for our needs. In other words, prayer is a family activity. It's not to say we don't pray privately. I hope you pray privately this week. I'm going to challenge you to do so in just a moment. But please understand that prayer is to be a part of a large family. And this is important for us because so many churches today are just focusing on the individual and how can we serve the individual and how can we bless you rather than calling individuals to use their God-given gifts to begin to serve other people. And we repackage the gospel and it's all about your purpose in life and your forgiveness and your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just don't see a lot of that language in Scripture. Rather, I see God calling us together as a people and specifically here calling us together as a people to pray, which is why over the next 15 days, you will have nine opportunities to gather together with your faith family and to seek God in prayer. I think this is a great privilege for us, and yet it's it's one we neglect. Guidance, forgiveness, provision, calling God our Father. He's our Father. You know how you got to have God as your Father? I mean, He's a holy God. He's the creator of all things. And yet he's, He's our Father. I told you that every time Jesus prayed, he prayed to God. Sixty times in the Bible, he addressed God as Father, except one time. You probably know it. He was hanging on the cross. And he prayed, but not as a child to a father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was kicked out of the family so you could be adopted. Jesus was rejected and forsaken in every way so that you can be accepted. You can have a father. And it's this father that invites you to pray to him. I want you to pray to me, he says. I want to hear from you. I wonder, perhaps some are here who don't know God as father. And please understand that we, just like being adopted into a family, we don't earn our way into that family. Um, We just receive it. We just receive that adoption. You can receive that today by calling out to Christ and saying, I believe you're the Son of God who died upon the cross to pay for my sin. Three days later, rose again, and I submit my life to you. I believe. I trust. I love. If you do that from your heart, God will adopt you into his family this very moment. You'll become a child of God. And you too can call him Father. For us Christians, we are in desperate need of him. As you have heard time and time again. And so I pray that you would join us in these 15 days of focused prayer. That we will pray together, as I mentioned. But you will, I hope, pray privately. In fact, I would like to challenge this week, for the next 15 days, starting today, that you make sure that you have a time in prayer. I would suggest to you that you not only pray your list, but that you seek your Father 
You seek Him, spend some time with Him, just not ask from Him, right? If you meet with a very important person, you don't come in and say, okay, this is what I need you to do, this is what I need you to do. You listen. So this is what I'm going to challenge you to do, is that every day this week you open the Bible and you spend some time studying the Bible. Most of you do that already, right? If you don't know where to go, you go to the book of Psalms, you go to the book of Gospel of John, be a great place to start. I've been doing this through Habakkuk, it's been a great blessing to me. And you go and you study the passage, right? You read the passage, you figure out what's going on in the passage, you get an understanding of the passage, right? You do that. And then what you do after that is you take the next 15 minutes to talk to God about it. I would encourage you, once you have studied the passage, to go back over that passage and read it slowly, asking two questions. Number one, Father, what do you want me to know about you? And number two, Father... What do you want me to know about me? And if you're anything like me, you'll want to jot some of these things down. And so you take five minutes and just slowly read over that passage. You may only get a couple verses. And then you take what you've learned, what God has spoken to you through His Word, and you talk to Him about it. You take those 15 minutes, right? Maybe five minutes reading that passage, 10 minutes just talking to God, adoring God for what He has shown you, confessing your sin to God, asking God to help you in these areas in which He is calling you, right? You take 15 minutes a day for the next 15 days. And I wonder what God would do in your life if you sought Him, not with your list. Then you go to your list, right? But you just seek Him. I want to spend time with Him. In fact, I, I want to start that right now. In fact, I'm going to ask the praise team if you guys would come up now at this time. And I don't know if you noticed that we, we kind of pushed some of our congregational praise to the end of our, our time this morning. And the praise team in just a moment, is they're going to begin to uh, uh, begin uh, their time of praise. They're, we have a couple songs that we have picked out that we're going to sing. But my encouragement for you is why they're singing is that you wouldn't join them right away in singing. Is that you would start even now calling out to God. That you would pray to Him from your heart. Maybe you pray this Lord's Prayer and you work through that while they sing. Maybe, maybe, maybe you grab the hand of your spouse and you say, honey, can we pray together? Maybe you gather your children around and you just begin to pray right there in your pew. Maybe, maybe you come forward and you, and you kneel before God. When's the last time you got on your knees before God and you, you pray to Him? Maybe you stand and lift your hands to heaven and you pray quietly to God that, that God would begin to work in our hearts, that, that we would be like the apostles and say, teach us to pray. And then once He taught us to pray, that we would follow, that we would respond, that we would obey, that God would begin to do a mighty work in us, even this very moment in Hamilton Baptist Church, creating a people desperate for God and dependent upon God expressing it through prayer. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, pray even now as we begin this time of prayer. And uh, may God work in your hearts. May He call you to Himself in prayer. Our Father, I, I, f- I feel even now, I, I would just want to start with confession. I've, I'm so happy I'm your son. I could think of no greater delight than to be your child. And and we all here, brothers and sisters, are your children, not because of anything in us, but because purely of grace and mercy, blood-bought grace and mercy. And yet we we feel like we can do this on our own. And we, we feel like we just march through life on our own and we and maybe throw in a prayer here and then, but Seeking you is so optional to us. And the Bible tells us, Jesus told us one thing is necessary. One thing. 
And so we, we beg you, even now, Hamilton Baptist Church, your, your remnant here, we call to heaven and say, Father, do a good work in our church. Do a good work in our hearts that we would become a people of prayer. We need to move. We need to go forward. And we're asking you to do this even now, not simply for our gain, for, for your namesake. Hallowed be your name in this church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.